Please open your hymn books with me again this morning, not your hymns of grace or another hymnal that you may have there at the house, but uh, the hymn book of God's people through the ages. We're going to consider Psalm 46 together this morning. It's important for us to remember the value of uh, the Psalms, uh, what we know about God and ourselves, our theology, the history, all of these things are meant to be sung. Uh, singing in general, these songs in particular uh, are meant to shape us, to really steer our hearts and our minds as God's people. So we praise through song, we give thanks through song, we lament, we confess, we express our joy and gratitude, uh, we seek wisdom and pray for blessing all through song. So in Psalm 46, it was composed by the descendants of Kohath, who was a Levite, and then under the leadership of King David, the, the Kohathai, they were given a variety of offices uh, in, the, in the temple. Uh, singing in the temple was one of them. So uh, here's something that the choir composed for the corporate worship of God's people. And if we were going to, to catalog the song, we, we'd put it in the category of a song of Zion. And we'll see why that's an important label in a few minutes. So please follow along with me reading from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters His voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how He has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Very bold, confident confession of, the God, of our God's protection and care. Let's pray together. Lord God, we are grateful of your presence with us on this day. Your presence with us through your word uh, as you speak to us giving us your heart, giving words to our own expression of, of confidence and triumph in you, our God. And we are grateful that you are our refuge and our help. And as we consider these words on this day, Lord, we pray that you would help us to lean into you and lean into this truth all the more, that you are with us, that you are near. You go before us, you fight for us. Lord God, it can be hard for us to hold on to such truths when so much is shaking, so much is uncertain around us. But it is certain for you, O Lord. So we pray that you would make us attentive now, that you would bind us together by your Spirit, that you would grow us in grace through the time that we spend in your Word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
I had a little time on one of the evenings this last week to go through the pictures on my phone. I go through and I kind of sort and delete some of those pictures and the folders that I don't uh, look at as often. And, and I went into the family uh, folder, family pictures, and I found a picture of my youngest daughter, Lydia, standing by the, the high table that we have between the kitchen and the living room, and there is a Jenga tower sitting on the table. And uh, I can remember taking a, a picture of this Jenga tower because it was the highest Jenga tower that I've ever been or I've ever seen or ever been a part of making. And if you've ever played Jenga, you know that the game is really quite simple. You, you know, there, there are blocks stacked perpendicular in this tower, and you remove one block and you set it on top of the tower in the hopes that the tower does not come crashing down. And uh, you know, eventually. This tower is teetering on just a few bricks. And that, that was the case in this uh, picture. Uh, with every move, it sways. And you think for sure this thing is going to come crashing down. And so if it's your turn, you sort of tap the brick lightly to see if it's a weight-bearing brick. And then you have to uh, maybe give you a little bit more confidence that you can remove that brick and, and place it uh, at the top. But the higher the tower the lower your confidence is in removing one of these bricks. Uh, it's starting to tip, and any movement could, could bring this thing uh, crashing down. And this psalm, it's a song of confidence in a time that looks and feels most threatening. The hostility of the nations, wars, rumors of wars, this is a very real thing for the people of God. Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. Where, where is their foothold? Where is their confidence with threats all around them? And much like the hills that we talked about in Psalm 121, uh, we looked at that last week, what might we consider today to be a threat to our security? What is a threat to our confidence in God's help? It may be the loss of health. It may be the loss of wealth or the loss of relationship. Or it may be the, the growth of wealth or trusting in our health that threatens our confidence in God. We may find that our confidence is not as much in God as we thought. He, maybe He's more of the insurance on those things that we really put our confidence in have these days of distancing and isolation and uh, uncertainty about the future you know, push you to really think about where your confidence is. In the midst of such threats, which may be unique, like the time we find ourselves in or just the ordinary life of God's people, uh, we're, we're looking for anything to, to hold on to, anything that won't move. When the Jenga tower is ready to fall, God is our refuge and our strength. He is exalted. He is exalted in the midst of the chaos. He is exalted in His city among His people. He's exalted in all the earth. And so with those headings of, of exaltation, we're going to look at this psalm in the three sections that are set apart by that word Selah. You see it there after verse 3, verse 7, and at the end. Uh, likely a, a musical term uh, there, but it, it simply means to lift up or to exalt 
Maybe like we would use the word amen after a prayer or someone says something that you really agree with. Uh, Lift up, exalt the Lord. Uh, It sets apart these verses in a very helpful way, even as the imagery uh, continues. But God's people can sing with confidence. We will not fear because God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And I've always scratched my head a little bit at that language. If God is omnipresent, if He is everywhere, all of the time, with me, with you, what makes Him very present in this translation? I've discovered that for our God to be very present is to be very easily found. He's always near. But in times of trouble, He's especially near. He's always ready with more than sufficient help for the situation. I used to watch the show Home Improvement like most Americans in the early 90s. Maybe you can find some reruns now on Netflix. Uh, But Tim the Toolman Taylor hosted this uh, show called Tool Time. And in every episode, something would go wrong, uh, usually because of Tim's ignorance or incompetence. But Tim's assistant, Al Borland, was always right there. He he was the perfect assistant for Tim. He's calm, he's competent. Uh, Whatever trouble Tim the Toolman Taylor got into, uh, Al Borland was there to help. So God's people have the most reliable and proven help in the Lord. He's the very best assistant in a time of, of trouble. Trouble we could bring upon ourselves or that we endure in this world. Though the earth gives way, the mountains crumble, He is our refuge and strength. Some of you have lived in places where uh, earthquakes are more common or could be more frequent. And you have felt the ground shaking under you. And even if you haven't lived in a place like that, you've seen the footage of that happening. Uh, Room shaking, buildings are, are swaying. Like that Jenga tower. Again, I've not experienced this, but I was I, I can imagine how terrifying that would be. Because for the most part, we count on the earth not moving underneath our feet. It should be stable. Where do you go? What do you do when everything is shaking? And I read some basic instruction for what to do in an earthquake. It wasn't terribly comforting, but here it is. Drop to the ground. Take uh, cover by getting under a sturdy table or other piece of furniture and hold on until the shaking stops. Hold on. The the very thing you may be holding on to is probably shaking, but hold on. God is our refuge and strength. He is unshakable. Immovable. His help unwavering when everything else is crumbling around us. If there is one thing we can hold on to, it is the faithfulness and care and protection of our God. When all else seems uncertain and chaotic. That's the imagery we have here in verse 3 and how the prophets describe the surging waters. They roar and swell, ready to crash and sweep away at any moment. The most devastating tsunami that's ever been recorded was in 2004. An earthquake 
shifts uh, the floor of the ocean. There was an 800-mile stretch of the ocean floor that had shifted, and it produced a wave 150 feet tall. And it hit the island of Sumatra, and, and it traveled three miles into the island. It killed 230,000 people. And I'll put that into perspective for a moment. Um, the deaths attributed to COVID-19 are about 180,000 over the entire world. If the mountains are trembling at the swelling of the waters, where are you going to go? What are you going to hold on to in the tsunami? Now in God's providence, which you remember is His holy, wise, powerful, preserving, and governing. In His providence, we may have to face the uncertainty of physical chaos of a world groaning under the weight of corruption the earthquakes and the tornadoes and the tsunamis and the viruses but we don't have to go through one of these chaotic events to understand this do we we know what it's like for the earth to give way for the waves to swell and crash the earth shakes when you go in for that routine doctor's appointment and you leave with a diagnosis that has changed your life. The earth shakes when you're making supper and you get a call from the sheriff's office saying that your husband or your wife or your child has been in an accident and you need to come right away. The waves crash and all the money that you've put into a savings account to support yourself or a loved one disappears overnight. It's moments like that. Maybe, maybe a moment that you're in right now. The things of this world give no confidence. They're nothing to hold on to. But God is our help. He is our refuge. It doesn't say that He is you know, one source of help you know, after we find a refuge. No, God is the refuge. His power and goodness and, and love for us is the only thing that we can hold on to when the earth shakes. He's the only unchanging one who can help us, strengthen us against fear and panic and, and comfort us in the midst of such distress. Do, do you have a firm grasp? Are you holding on to His promises this morning? You know, this pandemic is it's rough. We've had to make some sacrifices and we have yet to see the full consequences of our response uh, to this virus. But this is not the end of the world. And I, and I don't say that to be simplistic or to sound cliche. Um, verse 6 actually leads me there. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. In, in the beginning, God utters His voice. Okay, he, he speaks, and by His Word, all of creation comes into existence. He can just as easily utter His voice for the undoing of that creation. Now, the Creator God has promised that He will not destroy the world with a, a flood of water, no tsunami that's going to, to cleanse the world again as in the days of Noah. But there will be a day of cleansing, of purification, when the Lord God and the person 
of Jesus Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. This is inescapable for anyone who has ever lived. What will you hold on to in that day? I mean, you might escape the coronavirus for now, but you will not escape the judgment of God. No one will. What is secure? What will will your confidence be at that time? Another psalm, Psalm 102. We read these words. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Our security, our refuge, our confidence is in the Lord Himself. That language, language of security, moves us into that second section, verses 4-7, through where God is in the midst of His holy habitation, His dwelling among His people. And if the Lord has taken up residence in Zion, the city of God, then that place and those people are secure. They're protected. Lord Sabaot, the Lord of hosts, is with them. I'm really describing our God as this warrior king who protects his people, fights for his kingdom. He's the general leading his armies in battle. That military imagery picks up again in verses 8 and 9. Um, that's why this song has been categorized among the songs of Zion. I mean, there's this confidence, almost a defiant tone in the Lord's protection. He is in the midst of the city and she shall not be moved. And the symbolism, the use of water as a metaphor, that that continues into verse 4, but it's just beautiful poetry. What a stark contrast. We move from this place of chaos and the turbulent waters either of creation itself or the raging of the nations the rise and fall of the nations to this gently flowing stream a picture of peace and prosperity under the lord's protection and i want to consider just the historical context here uh, and the very placement of jerusalem in the nation of israel most large cities are built around a body of water. Just think of a large city right now, Chicago, New York, L.A., whatever. There's usually a a large body of water nearby. Not so for Jerusalem. There is no river that passes through the city of Jerusalem or a a large body of water nearby. So if an opposing army wants to take Jerusalem, the city of God, they don't even have to attack the city itself. All they need to do was, was cut off the water supply which came from the spring of Gihon outside of the city. So if the people of Israel dwelling in Jerusalem know an attack is coming, that could easily lead to despair. And they're told this very thing in Isaiah chapter 8. The Assyrians led by King Sennacherib, he's already laid waste to the northern kingdom and he is marching towards King Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem. Hezekiah seeks the counsel of Isaiah the prophet. He prays for deliverance, and and Isaiah tells Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the Lord of hosts dwells here. 
and he will fight. That's what he says when it's Isaiah 37. For I will defend the city to save it, for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivals. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Hezekiah took, he took great confidence in those words. And he shared that confidence, encouraged the people. Here's what he said in 2 Chronicles 32. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than with them. With him is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. The people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. The Lord of hosts would do battle. Hezekiah believes this. But he doesn't just sit around and wait for the Assyrians to overrun the city. He actually goes and blocks parts of the spring of Gehan so that they couldn't use it encamped outside of the city. And then he has a tunnel that's dug from from the spring on the east side of the city all the way to the south where it fills the pool of Siloam. Now there's actually water inside the city. So even under the attack of the Assyrians, the swelling waters of the Assyrians, on the outside, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. And so the Assyrians come, they encamp around Jerusalem, and the Lord of hosts sends forth His army to meet them. How many did He send in this case? One. One angel. And when the people looked out over the city walls the next morning, and it says, early in the morning... It tells us 185,000 Assyrians lay dead. Sennacherib decided it was time to go home after that. The city and its inhabitants were delivered, defended by the Lord. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Church family, the Lord of hosts is with us. He dwells with His people. In the Old Testament, that was visibly expressed through the temple in Jerusalem. But but His kingdom is far greater than just this one city on a map. Far more expansive than Jerusalem. God's presence among His people looks forward to the wonder of Emmanuel. God with us through His only begotten Son. Now the holy habitation of the Most High is among His people. The universal church. He's going to gather to Himself at His return. The preacher to the Hebrews gives us language. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This holy habitation is the heavenly community united by the blood of Jesus. 
He is in our midst. He is our strength. The Lord Jesus, His earthly ministry, He was taking a rest in Samaria by a well, and He responds to the shock of a woman who was gathering water there in John chapter 4. Here's a little of what He said. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So just as the people had life, they had water within the city. There is a strength in us that comes from the living water that is Jesus. Our faith, it wells up confidence. Jesus is our life. He is our strength. He is our help. And the Lord is our conquering kings, our defender, our protector. You know, do you and I really believe what Hezekiah said? That there are more with us than those of our enemies. Here's Psalm 27. Though an army encamp against me, I will not fear. Just a short verse. Whatever form that army may take, do you believe that God is stronger and able to defend? Maybe your body is plagued by health issues. It's all that you can really think about. Is that an enemy that you've made stronger than God? Maybe you're prone to fear, anxiety, worry, you know, the, the glass isn't just half empty. It's, there's not a drop left anywhere that you look. And what's going on around us now may only fuel that. Okay, is it any stronger than God? Or maybe a relationship that you think will, it will never be resolved, just beyond repair. Or a relationship that you think will never happen. Is that stronger than God in your life? Our God is a warrior king. He's fighting for His own. He's fighting for you. And that battle may look very strange at times. It certainly did for Jesus in the garden. I mean, here is the God-man in the garden. He's crying out, Father, if there is any other way to do this, any other way, take this cup from me. I think in, in His humanity, Jesus would very well have wanted to call those 12 legions of angels. Okay, if one can take out 185,000, 12 legions? Is this a question? Our God is infinitely stronger than our enemies. Peter, put away your sword. Um, That's not how this battle will be fought. I will suffer to bring peace. That is the goal. That's the goal going into this final section. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. So the Lord of hosts does not enjoy fighting. He doesn't enjoy making war. He fights with a specific purpose, an end in mind, to end the hostility and and bringing peace to the nations. Now that peace comes at a cost, as it often does. Great Hebrew scholar Derek Kidner, he says the outcome is peace, but the process is judgment. One day peace, that peace is going to reign over all the earth. The Lord will have complete victory. Why? Because the most decisive battle has already been fought. 
Jesus has already won. He's broken the bonds of sin. And he's made alive all those who look to him in repentance and faith. Colossians 2 describes this battle. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So it's by the wounds of Jesus, by the stripes of judgment for our sin that we are healed. He's our prophet, our great high priest, our king, and he is victorious. He will be exalted above all. That at the name of Jesus, every tongue confess, every knee would bow to the Lord of glory. That's really how this song comes to an end. O nations of the world, be still. Stop your raging against God and His people. So this command in verse 10, it's not first of all to the people of God if we follow you know, this theme of the song. It's a call to the nations, a rebuke to those outside of God's covenant people. Peace, be still. Maybe our thoughts go to another in the New Testament who gives a command to the raging and swelling waters. Be still. Humble yourselves and turn to the Lord who is exalted in all the earth. I mean, that's a humbling message to the nations. But it's also a very fitting response for the humbled, before the power and majesty and holiness of God as recipients of His grace and mercy. We are to be still. It's really the only fitting response oftentimes to be still. God is in heaven. We are on earth. Let your words be few. Be still and listen. Be still and trust. Be still and hope. Be still and adore His great name. Be still and do not boast. Be still. Do not complain. Though it's a challenge, we may find some real evidence of God's grace in this pandemic where there is less travel, less buying, less pampering, less producing, fewer distractions from everyday living, may allow us to be still before the Lord God. Maybe the Lord is showing us as individuals, as families, as a church family, that what we thought was normal from day to day needs some recalibrating. Where we thought time well spent, needed to be spent, okay, maybe better directed to something or someone else. Be still and know that I am God. What does that really mean? Well, it's certainly a knowledge of who God is, of His character, His actions in the world, His promises, but it's so much more than that. It's living in light of that understanding. Okay, we don't just know about our God. We fear and we follow Him because He is God. Stephen Whitmer has written an excellent book for leaders in the church, uh, shepherding. He penned an article this last week that he called Things the Coronavirus Hasn't Changed. And I won't mention all of them, but he starts with God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God has not changed when so much around us 
uh, seems to be changing. God's word has not changed. His love has not changed. It endures forever. The intercession of Jesus, our great high priest, has not changed. Our final destination where we will reign with Christ forever and ever, that has not changed. God's purpose for you has not changed. I have a cousin living in Michigan whose youngest son, Benny, he still has a portion of a tumor on his brain. Benny's five years old now, but when he was two years old, he had surgery to remove as much of this tumor as possible. The family had no promises for how this procedure would turn out. And and the uncertainty remains as Benny grows and learns uh, what the the effects of this may be on his body. But in the midst of this trial, uh, the family, all the extended family, uh, they had a t-shirt made. Um, And on the front of that t-shirt, it said, my anchor holds within the veil. They leaned in to God's unchanging purpose, the security that they have in this life and the next. They rejoice and give thanks for every day that they have with Benny because they have a sure and steadfast anchor. God is their refuge. It doesn't mean they don't get angry. It doesn't mean they don't hurt. It doesn't mean they don't cry or wonder why. But they are steadied in the storm by an unchanging God. Church family, take comfort. Take confidence in the very real safety of our God. Holding on to Him when everything else seems to be shaking. The world was shaking around Martin Luther when the words of this psalm gripped his heart and then his pen. Is Einfestberg, a mighty fortress. It's still one of the most triumphant, confident, comforting hymns of Orthodox Christianity. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side. The man of God's own choosing. Do you ask who that may be? Christ Jesus. It is He. Lord Sabaoth, His name. From age to age, the same. And He must win the battle. The God who fights for us is near. He is our fortress. He is our peace. He is exalted. And in the end, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let's pray together. Oh God, we do praise You for this remarkable certainty that You are our security, that You are our fortress, that You are unshakable, immovable when there seems to be little else around us, perhaps nothing around us, where that is true. Lord, in this day, may we as your people rest confidently in you, hiding ourselves in you and finding our strength in you. Help us in this. We thank you for your word that encourages us and teaches us this, reminds us of it, that you are our fortress, that you fight for us. Lord, we thank you And as we look to you and and, uh, as you go before us into this upcoming week, 
May we stand confidently, boasting in our only boast, and that is Christ who goes before us. It's in His name we pray. Amen.